0: Hi, it's Shayna here. Before this episode starts, I'm popping in with a quick reminder about our upcoming CEU on Thursday, June 20th. It's on how to approach the intake process without spending hours on assessments. As BCBAs, we know that sometimes the new learner intake process can seem to take forever, but our learners need to get started with programming and make progress as soon as possible. So how can we streamline the intake process so that it doesn't consist of hours of assessments? Join us live on Thursday, June 20th at 12 p.m. Eastern Time as Sheer and I walk you through our intake process with lots of video exemplars of different learners and teach you how to use our assessment with ease. You can earn one learning CEU for ACE, QABA, or IBAO. Join us live at this event, or to watch the recording asynchronously, go to howtoaba.com forward slash CEU. See you then.
1: Hi, I'm Shira Karpel,
0: And I'm Shana Gaunt, and we're board certified behavior analysts.
1: an ABA professional. We're going to review our top five don't do's as an ABA professional or a BCBA in
0: the field. So lots of top five tips for what not to do as an ABA professional. Sure, when we were talked about this, it was really difficult to narrow it down to just five. I also found it really difficult to talk about what not to do without talking about what to do. Because as ABA professionals, we're always saying, don't tell people what not to do, tell them what to do. Um, but we did manage to narrow this down to five. And we did manage to say, don't do this and don't do this and don't do this. So without further ado, let's start.
1: Yes, I would. We do need some non-examples for our examples. So here they are.
0: Uh, the first one would be don't don't use technical jargon. So what's the opposite of don't use technical jargon? Dumb it down. Parents don't understand ABA language. New RBTs don't always understand ABA language either. So really make sure that you're putting things in practical terminology, offer them some analogies, offer them some demonstrations, really model and make sure that you're not Using that technical jargon, and along with that technical jargon comes acronyms. And you know, whenever I think of acronyms, I always put a big smile on my face because as ABA professionals, lots of us are either RBTs or BCABAs or BCBA's, and you know, we come in and we like to do an FA right away to analyze the ABCs of behavior. What else can you say, Sherry? With it's an acronym in there, right? Like that's well, a lot. There's
1: NCR to compensate for the BX and the function. So there's lots. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, somebody gave me an analogy one time about going to a mechanic and I don't know a lot about cars. So, you know, when I give the keys over to the mechanic and they check it all out and they come back and they say, okay, Shana, you know, this needed to be done on the car and this needed to be done and this needed to be done. I really just take my keys back and I nod and I smile and I say, thank you. And I don't ask any questions because I don't want to appear dumb. Um, and that's somewhat the same as, you know, a parent when we're using technical jargon in the field, you know, lots of parents look at us like we're that car mechanic that they don't understand. So really trying to use practical examples and practical language.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely one of my pet peeves is, is hearing people talk to parents. Um, and when you're using that technical jargon, it doesn't come off, you know, warm and comforting, and I think that brings us to our second point, which is not to be condescending. And I think if you are speaking in that way, very technically, it comes off as condescending. Like I know more than you do; you need to listen to me because I have all this experience. Um, also, very often we're going into people's homes, and it's very easy to come into someone's home um, or their environment see everything that's going wrong. And, you know, bedtime isn't right. And your food habits aren't right. And your child isn't toilet trained. And it's very easy to notice all those things and then come across as very judgy and condescending as if, you know, you have to fix this, this, and this, and I'm going to tell you how, because I have all the tools and strategies and you don't. I think we need to be careful not to come across as condescending, not to judge, you know, everybody, they're allowing us into their homes. Everybody has you know, their own challenges to deal with. I'm sure if you came into my home at any point during the day, you wouldn't be impressed with everything that's going on. And we have to remember that we're not there to judge. We're there to help. And we shouldn't come across as overly condescending
0: and judgy to our parents. This also holds true in a classroom situation as well. I remember being all of about 20 and, you know, I had just done ABA, gone through some courses and was really excited about everything I'd learned. And I went into a classroom that definitely wasn't ABA and I was speaking to an experienced teacher. And, you know, as a young ABA professional, I was saying, Oh, you have to do this and you have to do this and you have to do this. And, you know, this older teacher with lots of experience probably looked at me like, you know, I was from another planet because she was probably saying, Who are you to suggest this? Um, You know, get out of my classroom. So we really do need to make sure that we are really compassionate um, and really understanding, regardless of whether, you know, we think we're right. Making sure that we are, you know, understanding of what they're doing, and um, making sure that we're not judging.
1: Yeah, for sure. And when I was trained, you know, many years ago to become an instructive therapist in ABA, I remember them teaching me using the SD voice. I don't know if you remember what that is, but back, you know, Same. many, many years ago, that's what I was evaluated on. There was this this unnatural way of like interacting with our clients, and so. As our third not to do, our suggestion is don't be unnatural. Don't use that SD voice. Um, A lot of, you know, one of the myths of ABA is that, you know, we're very robotic and we're very unnatural. And I think we can dispel that by not being like that. ABA is fun. It should be interactive. It should be fun for the child and it should be fun for the therapist also. So be yourself and bring yourself to that play session. And don't, train our kids to only respond to certain voices in certain ways. Um, It's great when we can be natural because our kids will learn naturally and it'll just be a better experience for them.
0: When you say don't be unnatural, Shira, I also think of just play. And you know, into play, I'm a natural, goofy person. And you know, when I sit down and play with child, that comes through and it should come through because if I didn't do that, it would come across as stale, dull. I wouldn't have fun and neither with the child, the child would see right through that. So, you know, of course, I want my learner to have a really great time during our ABA session. But more importantly, I want me to have a good time. Um, and the only reason, you know, the only way I can have a good time is if I'm myself, you know, if I'm not myself, if I'm trying to be somebody I'm not, um, it's going to affect my teaching. So really making sure that you are natural, you know, you're not a robot, you're not somebody who's just going through the motions, because it does look like that, then, and it will, it will come across as you know what, you don't want to be here, you're just going through the motions. So really make sure that you're not unnatural. Be yourself. Have fun. You know, you were hired. You you did this job or you you went down this path for a reason and um, show that side of you.
1: Yeah, I don't know if you're aware, but a lot of BCBAs sometimes get a reputation of being a little bit uptight. um, And that comes across. And I think we need to, like, break that barrier. I'll never forget where I went into a family's home who had already had a teenager. They had lots of experience with ABA previous. They had lots of BCBAs who worked with them. And, you know, I did my best. I couldn't really solve the case that I was brought in to help with. But the feedback from the parent was, you're the first BCBA who came to Thesis. We didn't have a computer in front of her face the entire time. And I think that we need to, in dealing with our kids, our teachers, and our parents, just bring an element of our personality and be natural and connect with them because that's that's really what we're there for. And we'll get our jobs done a lot better. Absolutely. So moving on to our fourth point is as a BCBA, you're gonna come across a lot, well, maybe a lot of challenging behavior. And Something that I don't think we were always aware of and that you need to be aware is that we shouldn't be working to just reduce any problem behavior without really working on increasing a replacement skill. Um, I know sometimes challenging behavior can be very challenging and very problematic and very dangerous at times. But if we're just using tools like extinction or ignoring or distraction or things that Just try not to reinforce the challenging behavior. We're not really doing our family as a service because we need to also be working on a replacement skill. This behavior is serving a function. It's serving a purpose. And if we're not working on figuring out what that purpose is and giving them a better, safer way to communicate that, then we're really doing them a disservice. So it's really important that as you're going in and being the person who's going to be tackling challenging behavior, really think about what skill do I need to be teaching this? this child or this individual
0: beyond just ignoring the challenging behavior. And that's why it's so important to determine function of behavior, really taking that function-based approach, really asking yourself, why is this child engaging in this problem behavior? Why are they doing what they're doing? Not just, Oh, what are they doing? Why are they doing it? And what are they trying to say? And what skills are they missing? And if we can determine a why they're doing it B they replace like the what they're trying to say and B is there any skills they're missing you know is there a skill deficit what can we be teaching and really looking at skill acquisition versus You know, behavior reduction. And if we can look at that skill acquisition, like teaching them what skills they need to know so that the negative behavior will reduce automatically, then that's what we need to do. You know, oftentimes I'll go into a program and, you know, an ABA therapist will say, well, I'm ignoring the child because I'm putting the behavior on extinction. And there's so many things wrong with that statement. First of all, you don't ignore a child. You may ignore the behavior, but you don't ignore a child. You don't ignore an individual. Um, But secondly, you know, by just ignoring a behavior, that's not teaching anything, you know, sure, maybe they're doing it as a function of attention, and you're trying not to pay attention to that behavior. But what else are you doing, you need to be, you know, putting it together a program so that you can teach them to gain attention appropriately, if that's, you know, what the function of that behavior is for.
1: Yeah. And that brings us to our fifth and final tip, which is as a BCBA or AB professional, don't think you know it all. Um, I mean, I for sure have fallen into this trap where I was a you know newly minted BCBA and I thought I knew better than the families and I was recommending a certain classroom placement and they didn't agree with me. And I I was like, no, but I'm right. And I even spoke to the school school, even though the family didn't want me to. And, you know, I regret all that now because now I know how little I knew at the time. And I think we need to go into the field really knowing that we don't know it all. Um, We, even just learning how to do our job only starts once we pass the exam, then we start getting the experience and learning and continuing to grow in the field. And it's so important to continue to take the courses and the trainings that make you a better
0: professional. There's always more to learn and be humble. Um, you know, there's a saying out there that says, you know, I have worked with, you know, a million students with autism. What does that mean? You know, every child is unique. So, you know, I meet one student with autism doesn't mean that I know a whole bunch of people with autism. It means there, you know, you need to individualize that. So really be humble. You know, I typically walk into a situation whereby if I'm walking into a classroom, you know, I'm treating the teacher as the expert. I'm not an expert in the student. You know, the teacher is. The teacher's an expert in her classroom. The teacher's an expert in the student's behavior. I am just an expert in behavior. If I'm walking into a home or if I'm doing any type of parent coaching, I'm not an expert on the child. I am an expert in ABA but the parent is the expert on the child. And, you know, we really need to have that attitude of be humble, listen, and learn from other people.
1: So those are our top five tips for what not to do as an ABA professional. We'd love to hear what your tips are. If you have any suggestions, Uh, please follow us on social media and let us know what you would add to this list.